You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. I'm Jamie Dumont. I'm Rob Russo, and this is The Fabulous Invalid. Hi, Jamie. Hi, wow, well, it's uh, Monday night and we are back at Orso. Yes, it's the Monday before the Tony Awards. It's the Monday before the Tony Awards. And the Monday after the Drama Desk Awards. Which we both went to last, last night. night. Yes, yes. We said that at the same time. W- did we? Oh, yeah, we well, did. Yeah. How about that? Um, yeah, and I have to admit, I slept in a little this morning because uh, I was up late last night. <laughs> uh, I know you were. Celebrating the results, and um, you know, I was riding a high. It was hard to fall asleep. It was hard to fall asleep. I have to say, I, I went home and I listened to the prom cast recording from start to finish, which is—is is that because I mentioned that I had listened to it for the first time, leading up to going to the drama? Oh, desk? that's right. That's right. You had taken a break. I had from taken the prom. a break from listening yeah. to it three times a day. I every had to. Day. I had to do that last season from uh, the band's visit. Yeah, I saw the show like five times in three months, and was I listening to that cast recording nonstop? I, I finally had to like take a break. Well, it's no secret. Well, it's now no secret to anyone, but we are seeing the prom again on Wednesday. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. One last check-in before the Tony Awards. One last check-in. I think Beth Level, when we told her last night at the drama desk, looked at us like we were bonkers. What? No, I thought she was excited. Really? Yeah. I think she was afraid. Oh, I think she's on. now. I think she's now <laughs> planning her escape from us. It is all about Emma and not about me. I guess I've already sort of let the cat out of the bag, but in thinking about the Drama Desk Awards last night, um, the sort of greatest surprise of the entire evening, for me at least, for, for everyone. everyone, was that the prom won Best Musical. Yes. Which is so delightful and exciting. Did you... Are you aware that you screamed like a girl when that happened? Um, I am. Okay, good. I am. I own that. Yeah, I, I know. That. I know you do. I, just, I was just so checking. terribly excited. I, you know, we were sitting. It's a very you know starry crowd. One of the cool things about the um, uh, this award show, the Drama Desk, uh, is that uh, in the orchestra, it's a mix of all the nominees and the voters, and that's basically it because it's town hall. It's a very small venue compared to the fact that it's, you know, a hundred and something nominees. When you're in the hall, mm-hmm. when there's a surprise like yes. that, you weren't the only person screaming. Oh, no. You might have been the only male screaming like <laughs> a girl in row L. Right, well, but we were in row J and you know it. Oh, sorry. So, um, <laughs> no, but I immediately looked right across the auditorium to, do you like, do you to know, where... Do you like how I upgraded our seats? What do you mean you upgraded our seats? Wait, oh, no, J, K, L. Oh. No, you didn't. See, I don't even know the alphabet. Jamie doesn't know the alphabet. <laughs> but I immediately looked across the auditorium to where the prom was sitting, because I knew where they were sitting. I'd you know, scoped everyone out throughout the evening. And Beth Level and Brooks, they all just shot up. Oh, they, they were, were jumping. It was thunderous. It was so wonderful and exciting. Um, for those who don't know, the Drama Desk rec- uh, recognizes both Broadway and Off-Broadway and Off-Off-Broadway shows. So the category, the, the nominations in each of the categories are different from what or at the Tony Awards, which makes it a little hard for them to be predictive of what will happen at the Tony Awards. Um, this year, it was Tootsie, uh, The Prom, Be More Chill, um, but also uh, Rags Parkland sing Songs of the Future, and The Hello Girls. Those were two productions that played off-Broadway uh, and are no longer running, so folks don't even have a chance to go see them if they were <laughs> interested. So without Town. Um, or Ain't Too Proud, which are the other, and Beetlejuice, which are the other three musicals that are nominated for the Tony Awards. 
Um, it was an interesting category. And I thought for sure that Tootsie was going to win. I think everybody thought I think Tootsie everyone did, right? Especially because it won Best Score and Best Book, uh, which, you know, usually indicates... It won the two awards leading up to right. like, that right. moment. Um, so hats off to the prom. I, I've, I love that show. I've had such a love affair with it since we saw it back in, what, November? Of all the new musicals on Broadway, it's really the only one that doesn't have any sort of pre-existing brand around it. It was inspired by a news story, and that's it. It's had a real uphill climb throughout the whole season. So to see it win Best Musical, uh, well, Outstanding Musical is actually the category, um, was really special. a lot of great theater in New York. Hats off to the Drama Desk Awards for recognizing uh, all of this wonderful theater and um, for putting on a great show. You know, it really has become more of a um, curated, you know, big deal of an event since you last attended in 1999, oh, right? Well, you know, the thing I remember about going in 99 was it there were lots of musical numbers it was very oh, musical heavy yeah. it felt like it went on forever and what <laughs> I really loved about and that's just my memory that doesn't mean that's yeah, actually sure. what happened but what I loved about last night is it was truly about the awards it was truly about the artists it was truly about yes. the theater there were three maybe three performances mm -hmm. and they were and all great they were all great but yeah. they, but it wasn't it did it never felt like nothing was belabored yeah correct yeah because it, it really wasn't it it wasn't an advertisement or a marketing tool Correct. for seeing shows. Yep. It was, it was actually a celebration of yes. outstanding work. Hundred percent. And speaking of outstanding work, we yes. have a guest yes. joining us tonight. Yes, a wonderful the, guest. I can't wait the, to talk. The uh, fantastic actor and producer, yes. Tom Hulse. Wonderful. Should we? Uh, I think we should have a chat with Tom. Let's do it. And nobody out there ever gets to define the life I'm meant to lead with this unruly heart of mine. Today we are delighted to be joined by actor and producer Tom Hulse. Maybe best known for his work in such hit films as Animal House and The Marvelous Dominic and Eugene. And his Academy Award-nominated turn as Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart in Amadeus. 
Tom is also a prolific Broadway producer, including the Tony Award-winning Spring Awakening, American Idiot, and this season's Tony-nominated smash hit, Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for coming yeah, down. Thanks for coming. Yep. <laughs> and congratulations on your 12 nominations. 12 nominations. So sad. This Sunday. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're just, just under a week away. Yeah. How do you feel? I feel... Uh, very lucky. <laughs> not about not about anything particular to do with the future, but I feel like there have been so many moments in the progression of this show that have uh, unexpectedly landed in our favor, mm. and we're definitely blessed with an extraordinary once-in-a-lifetime group of people. And so um, I'm feeling really, really, really good. <laughs> good. Well, we actually, some of those extraordinary people yes. we've spoken to this year. So we chatted with Tara Rubin earlier um, right. on the show, and she said that casting Ain't Too Proud was one of the career highlights for her. Finding, finding the fellas to portray the, 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 the Temptations was a real career highlight. Yeah. And Des Mackinoff said yeah. exactly the same thing <laughs> yes, right. about his Involvement. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it begs the it begs the natural question: How did this all come? How did you get involved? Where did this come from? I think before Spring Awakening, which is when I first partnered up with Ira Pittleman to um, to produce together, uh, either right as that was happening or before, he had made a partnership with Otis Williams. And um, Shelley uh, uh, Berger, the, the, manager the manager of the Temptations and the Supremes oh. from the time that they had the level of success where they could even try to cross over to today when he continues to manage the Temptations as they continue to, um, to tour. Um, they made a partnership to make a musical uh, based on Otis's autobiography, and uh, immediately it became clear that the songs were not available. And um, it was such an interesting situation. Um, legally, Barry Gordy doesn't have any um, hold on the material. Really? Uh, Sony Publishing holds Owns the material. But nobody, out of respect for the enormous thing that he created and did at a time when that was just like crazy that there would be that company in Detroit with that many amazing artists and 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 and, and so on. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna detour for a second. Um, when he came up to Berkeley to see the the show for the first time. Um, he talked at that time about how he had worked on the assembly line at Ford and how he took the assembly line as his model so that if it wasn't happening, it wasn't the car's fault, <laughs> it was everybody else's fault and it's how he could believe in the temptations for 24, however many uh, uh, releases they had before they had a hit. And so what a remarkable uh, 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 Thing he did, it would never happen now. No, no. not no. in a million years. Mm. Um, uh, but um, uh, uh, gosh, why did I bring up 
why did I bring up Barry? And because he didn't own the, the he didn't own the rights to the music. Oh yeah, right. but so out because of he wanted to him. do Motown, right, right. There was a hold on all of the catalogs oh, of okay. all of the Motown uh, acts, right. but he said to Shelley um, and Otis that the Temptations could be first after Motown, and um, so you know years go on and. We get a call from Sony's lawyer, Sony Publishing's lawyer, saying that um, he'd like to let us know that the Temptations catalog was becoming available and Barry had had it put in the Motown contract to to protect that we would have the first window, if you will, of um, opportunity. And what year was this, roughly? That that they became available? Yeah, that Sony called you. I want to say it's about five, four, four or five years ago. Okay. But actually, when they called us, there was still time ticking when they were being um, withheld. Mm, right. But the date was was so Coming we out, knew yeah. that that would come, and we knew that we could start to make a deal and and pursue it. And then um, uh, uh, Des was our first meeting of of anyone um, that would help create the actual the actual thing and the only writer that we sent to m- meet him was Dominique. Mm. So that's I'm fascinated by yeah. that because she's written a beautiful book. Yeah. She's nominated for a Tony, deservedly yeah. so. Yeah. But she's an unusual choice and she yeah. was your first choice. Yeah. So how did that come about? We knew who we knew with the sort of the the writers that were successful enough. Um, that we would know their work or have seen their work. And um, there were a lot of younger, newer playwrights that we really didn't have. And so to educate ourselves, we read a lot. But for me, two things happened that were significant. One is that an agent said you should get Dominique Morisseau, and that agent did not represent her nor did his company. Wow. And so that's always like a right. a little flame <laughs> that goes off. And um, Michael Friedman, who is who was so many people's advisor yeah. and so many people's sort of artistic um, guidepost, or I don't <laughs> Guru, know. Guru. Yeah. And so I said, okay, this is what we're doing. This is da-da-da-da who and um, uh, this is who we were thinking of at the time and and he said um, you should talk to Dominique wow wow good thing so, you did yeah and and not a moment too soon you right. know as it turns out right. and she's a Detroit native too she is, correct yeah. completely she's written so, a cycle of plays about yeah. Detroit yeah yeah, yeah. and um, I and so are you. to talk about um, well <laughs> right? I, I, I was in a in a um, whitey white commuter uh, suburb oh, okay. Got of it. Detroit, <laughs> and I left to go away to school before I had a driver's license, so I didn't really know so downtown Detroit to, yeah, yeah. as as much as I would have um, liked to. But but one of those Detroit plays opens with um, a Temptation song, maybe "Ain't Too Proud to Beg," and that for Ira that was like yeah. a sign. A sign. Yep. That was a, yep. a big hello. You have to listen to yeah. those signs, yeah. you know, when they come along.
sound like there was a lot of um, a lot of divine intervention or whatever you want to call it bringing everybody and everything together on this project really even our first meeting yeah. with Dez um, he brought up the fact that he um, grew up in Toronto and so he was in Detroit all the time because it's just whatever it is Right. an hour and a half away or two hours away so he actually had a much stronger relationship to the place and the time and the music than I did living 45 minutes away right um, and you know I was lying on my bedroom floor listening to La Boheme and <laughs> trying to imitate Anthony Newley you know, it's just both very yeah. worth marrying. Great influences. I mean, yeah, Great influences. Don't <laughs> underestimate the power of Not Anthony to mention Newley. the outfit. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Toronto ended up being one of the pre-Broadway stops yeah. for Ain't Too Proud. And yeah. you ended up doing this tour, which was another sort of this interesting, unique tour. way to bring it to Broadway. Yeah. Um, did that afford you a certain luxury in the process? Or was it sort of just the way that it happened? Or was that by design? How did that come ar- about? It was luxurious in the sense that it was very expensive. <laughs> um, our, it gave you time to fine-tune the show, though. Our well. fantasy uh, uh, was that we would work on the show in Berkeley and get it to the point where the work that we would want to do, we felt that we could do on the way mm. to Broadway. And so... Um, Imagine our surprise <laughs> when there was no room at the inn. Right. And, um, and, and an increasing problem on Broadway. Right. Yeah. And, and at that time, I don't know if it's the same now because it's how many, about two years later maybe. Yeah. But at that time, so many conversations had been had between theater owners with people who they had very strong relationships with about projects that, that hadn't even begun, wow. but that when they were ready, they would they could count on having a theater. Mm. So it, it was it was worse than we anticipated in terms of what we could sort of sort of see. But we knew that we had a pretty um, a, a significant to do list, mm. and so at the point that it became clear that we were going to have to wait. The idea that we would just sit uh, became not so uh, uh, compelling. And um, so Jeffrey Finn, who, who um, runs the theater, all of the theater part of the Kennedy Center, um, had been in uh, taking uh, uh, workspace in our office for a couple of years before he took that job. And so, you know, we would had conversations about <laughs> the Temptations show and yeah. stuff. And and completely hypothetical and and uh, about, you know, and geez, like like uh, are you having a subscription season down there? <laughs> and so he was our first conversation and it felt like a a, a good place in terms of the the 
work that we wanted to do. The Amundsen in L.A. kind of customized a situation that was exactly right for us. They had lost... Um, they had a Maybe show. Crazy for You yeah, right. was, was oh, earlier in their subscription, right. yes. so they owed their subscribers a show because it normally wouldn't have been a, 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 the right time of year. Right. And um, uh, so we we sorted ourselves out to to go there, and it felt like, you know, um, uh, uh, Washington for... Gravitas and um, uh, LA for showbiz. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also there are two panache. more examples of where the right place, the right yep. time, Stars everything's aligning. falling into place. Yep. Yeah. Because how would you have known that Crazy for You would get delayed or whatever happened to it? Right. And every moment of the show just seems to be happening for the right reason. Yeah. And sort of out of, not out of your control, but it's like there's something guiding something, the process. Yeah. Before we left the Kennedy Center, um, uh, Bob, Michael at the Schubert's, and Desi said, let us know that um, they thought that they could help us. <laughs> help you they did. Right. Yeah, they certainly did. <laughs> that they might have what we need. Right, exactly. <laughs> it, you are in the perfect house for your show. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's terrific. I, it, it's, it's crazy. It was taken off the market. I think twice because there is going to be a big construction project next door. Oh, next door, that, that's right. Yes, um, that giant lot. Uh, and something just didn't coalesce right, wow. right at the time where they were they were wanting us to make a commitment. And mm. so when they said that it was going back on the market, it was like, go. Well, it's interesting. As you're talking through the journey that Ain't Too Proud took to Broadway and all these different decisions that came up along the way and stars that aligned, um, it makes me think about taking a step back, a bigger step back, what the role of a producer is in marshalling a project along from that very first idea 15 years ago to now a hit you know, musical mm -hmm. on Broadway with 12 Tony nominations. The term producer means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and even within the entertainment industry yeah. you know a record producer does something very different from what a TV producer does yeah. how do you describe your role as a theatrical producer one way I describe it <laughs> is that when I was uh, in the acting portion of, of my career I got to be the special child <laughs> and whatever problem I had was everyone's problem and it was especially the producer's problem and now I'm the adult and the parent and everyone's problem is my problem <laughs> so it's it's a it's an ironic kind of um, it's cosmic uh, justice huh yeah around yeah. Um, Especially because I thought that the producer, when I was acting, I thought the producer was the person who was going to prevent me from doing what I wanted to do. Oh, oh interesting. And so, so the, 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 the even more delicious cup <laughs> circle that I'm standing there and know in all kinds of ways what, what the person across from me may or may not be thinking. Yeah. But I think, okay, just like, you know, bring it on. We'll get through the... <laughs> through but I, I feel like it's 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 so much of it is just problem solving mm. 
I think my favorite part of it is putting together the initial pieces mm-hmm. of a project and then watching it's so exciting because it's just so hopeful <laughs> like, like like in the early parts it doesn't matter if something as long as as long as you believe in its potential right then then it's just all fun and hard work and and you know maybe complicated decisions but it's it's um it's all uh, uh, to be revealed and so part of that job is to help it become what it wants to be and not what I want it to be or this person wants it to be but to be able to say that three minutes there that's that's where it lives and and build out from there um, and you know Hopefully there are three minutes. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it sounds to me like, I mean, a, a huge part of being a great producer, which clearly you are a great producer, <laughs> is having that perspective and that patience and that ability to really um, see the bigger picture and have the bigger picture in mind yeah. when you hit those snags or yeah. when, when something's not working or when you sit back and you say, oh, actually, you know, it's all wrong, but the, all the pieces are right. We just yeah. need to... Rejigger the puzzle, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. and that's that's sort of an innate skill, I would imagine. Certainly, it's something you can practice and you get better at over time. But how much of it do you think is is it's an instinct? instinct it's I instinct, think right. Um, uh, and to have a partner, uh, I, Ira and I um, uh, rarely agree. Um, Interesting. And um, we we have very different specific taste but we both have great and common belief in things and so left to our own devices we we may go about things in a different way but we've we've um, we've been able to build um, out of a common passion for something is that how you overcome the idea that you rarely agree on things, but as producing partners, you have yeah. to navigate those tricky waters, correct? Yeah. So is that part of how you get through that? It's a crazy situation. <laughs> uh, uh, because, you know, it shouldn't work, right? Well, that's, uh, that's kind of what I'm asking. Because you just, you just described a scenario for disaster. Yeah. And yet you've produced... Yeah. Some incredibly yeah. daring, successful, yeah. wonderful, original pieces of theater, which is hard to do. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how you do it. <laughs> uh, I think a, a lot of it has to do with um, uh, our, our our commonality as as humans. Maybe and a, a, a feeling on both our parts that it's not personal, right. and and um, I feel sure that he would he would say this as well that a solution to anything needn't be the solution that we can think of. That the the the, the exciting thing is when 
a, a challenge has been identified and the solution is something that neither of us would have thought of right. on our own. Right. Or that neither of us would have thought of and Des right. has the, you know, has the, the magic answer. number, if yeah. you will. It's that yeah. synergy that really yeah. exists so, has to exist in the theater for yeah. anything to be successful, right? Yeah. Which also, I think, speaks to what you said a moment ago, which is one of your favorite parts of it is the beginning where you're putting everything together. And I, I assumed part of what you meant by that was putting the creative team together, right? Yeah. Assembling all of those pieces. Yeah. That's the exciting part. Yeah. What is what is Des going to bring to the project? What is yeah. Dominique going to bring to the project? Yeah. What is, so, you know, and, and seeing that unfold, yeah. that's the thrill. And, and we're, we're very um, director-oriented in that um, we didn't bring our creative team to Des. We asked him to uh, uh, propose to us and um, pushed back maybe twice out right. of all the decisions. Right. And... Um, uh, It became a kind of um, thrilling early early process. I have to say, there are so many days um, where it felt like it was clear that we were working with a collection of artists, and that the conception of the piece. It's in black and white. Yes, I love that. There's four oh. columns and a, a metal fence <laughs> and a, a two, two horizontal LED panels and a, a moving floor. And, and Peter Negrini's awesome nest <laughs> that lives contained in various pieces of, right. of, of all of that. But to... Um, that idea was from the very, from the very beginning, and that meant that there wouldn't be any clothes that looked like clothes that, that literally the temptations were. There wouldn't be that sense of outrageous color, or you know, nobody changes their hair. What a crazy idea for a piece that's got such um, sort of extroverted potential uh, <laughs> if you did something literal but to choose and to frame it in in the in the sense of, of a man who is looking back and asking you know was it worth it to to, to lose his brothers in a genre that feels so um, known right it, it, it was so amazing to watch essentially a love story amongst these five uh, people and the and the challenges they came out, uh, along the way and we would all find it un so unexpectedly moving not necessarily on plot information but suddenly just the five guys would walk towards the front of the stage in the rehearsal room and and the the, the, the size of what was being tapped right um, uh, Against all odds, with this with this kind of story, it was just um, heaven, heaven. I love that you say it's a love story. That's an interesting, that's an interesting, that's an interesting frame for it. Yeah. Um, 
because it is. It's also a, it, they're, they're, it's a family. It's a story right? about a family, right? And it's it and it's and it's also a story about survival. Yeah. It's like it, these are these are deeply personal things that everyone can relate to. And it's 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 fascinating to hear you talk about how you strip away what you know about the temptations, their outrageous costumes, their dance moves. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but the brilliant work of Sergio Trujillo is all his work. There's very little there are very few steps that yeah. actually were the temptations, yeah. right? So you're now talking about a different language altogether right. in which to continue to tell their story. Yeah. So everything is new and fresh yeah. and not and 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 again, that helps you really focus on the story of love and family and 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 commitment and honor yeah. that you're telling. Yeah, and you know how crazy they they all keep coming back, right? You know, and ten minutes after they've kicked David Ruffin yeah. out in 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 you know almost operatic terms, <laughs> right? You know, we've had an intermission. Who knows how much time has passed? The first thing we see is these trying to get back in, right. stealing a mic, yeah. literally pulling a mic out of. I mean, that's you know, it's yeah. funny and it's comical, but also yeah. there's a tragedy to it as well, right? Because you see this man who realizes what's happened, yeah. right? And then everybody else is watching this. Yeah. We're laughing as an audience, but if you're right. really paying attention, you're watching tragedy. Yeah. In that moment. Yeah. It's beautiful and it's very deceptive how you've done it. Yeah. <laughs> well, how they've how. Yeah. How, how 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 we the collective correct we, right. with Ira and I um, <laughs> correct being of support right. you know. <laughs> the problem solvers it is really special and I have to say you know as someone like we all do we see you know shows constantly right six times a week sometimes um, and as as you alluded to earlier you know this is a a, a genre or a form that people think they know mm-hmm. they have certain expectations walking in. And some people have a chip on their shoulder about it, right? Oh, you know, the, the jukebox musical. Exactly. I'm using scare quotes right exactly. now. Um, and I'll admit, you know, even I have a little bit of skepticism when I see, uh, you know, Ain't Too Proud, The Temptations Musical, or The Share Show, or any mm-hmm. of these shows coming down the pike. Um, but it's a testament to the craft and to the team that you assembled mm-hmm. um, that it does feel so fresh and so moving. And it's, an, it's a fantastic story. And it's so entertaining. Yeah. And that, I think, you know, oftentimes we can forget about how important it is to just be entertained. Yeah. Absolutely. In the course of seeing a show, you know? And it can be both thought-provoking and moving and mm-hmm. entertaining at the same right. time. It can do all those things. I and the best it. moving floor <laughs> use of any moving floor right. in any right. show <laughs> ever. It is extraordinary. Again, one of Dez's first ideas is about the number of times people are exiting and entering. Right. And so out of that organically came a very early conversation with Robert Brill, right? I want to say also that there's something that's so... um, One of the frustrations is exactly what you sort of defined, where there's an expectation... There's a a lowered expectation, Mm. quite frankly. But as a result, people are so surprised at the degree to which um, both the joy factor and how moved they are yeah. by things that it, it I feel like it lifts it, 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 even more because mm-hmm. of the prejudice against the, um, the against the genre, the genre if you will right. that and our company oh. yeah. has such 
dedication, discipline, generosity, and feel so responsible for the quality mm. of what they have been given the opportunity to to uh, uh, put forward that there's a lift that comes that's all on them that's that's the the secret sauce maybe of <laughs> of the event just spectacular from top to bottom mm. sick of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for $90 more I can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just $300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I'm gonna do all the things wants a man to do. Oh, I sacrifice for you while even do side to what you do is also um, there's a lot of unglamorous things about being a producer. Oh, it's correct? dog work. It's, it's, well, yeah, it's numbers. It's, it's, as you said, it's problem solving. It's sort of being a, a father figure, for lack of a better way to put mm. it. But I'm curious because you started out your career as an actor. Yeah. You were a very successful actor. Now you're a successful producer. What do you know as a producer because of the fact that you are an actor that another producer doesn't know? Mm. Uh, I I don't know what other producers would or wouldn't know, but I know that the great gift for me for doing this work is all of the rooms that I was in and was in the process of something being made. And in some way, my backing out of acting and into other work was because I was finding the process of something being made started to become more compelling than living inside the story um, uh, e even when the, the, the thing I got to do was so amazing in terms of the material and, and, and all like that. So I feel like it's um, it gives me entree into the room in a different way. And so um, uh, I, can, I can be more uh, uh, adjacent to the work than than a lot of uh, producers are given the opportunity. So there's, there's a lot about, about being in the, in the creative room as an actor that, that is, is, is hugely useful. And in the way that an actor, I want to say for the most part, wants to find what the writer intended and and bring that to life as fully as possible, not say, oh, well, this is what I want this part to be. It makes it very easy to be in a rehearsal room or in a process 
um, as a producer and say, this is, this is what it feels, this is where it feels like it wants to live. Um, and, and, and not have a prescriptive urge as much as a, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's almost parental in a way to, to you know, you bring these, these like, like if I had children, I imagine um, that you bring these, these things into the world and then you just do everything you can to help them become who they are. Because you've been where they are, right? but you also have to, it's that balance of having to figure out a way to teach your children or your art <laughs> mm-hmm. to live on its own, mm-hmm. but also guide it with the experience that you have had yeah. from doing it yourself. Yeah. It also sounds like there's a bit of a process thing, is what, I, what I'm hearing. I love is, is the process. The, yeah, is that, yeah, that's the thing that is, I think, the difference that yeah. you have that some producers may not experience or experience in a different way, which is that, that process, that artistic yeah. thing. And then, of course, you have to put on your numbers hat and be like, okay, we got to wrap this up because we, you know, or whatever it is. We got to figure this out because we have X amount of time. Or, yeah. or same thing, I would think, with that decision of, okay, so we don't have our theater when we wanted it. Yeah. So now what do we do? Do we go out on the road and risk that? and Or do we lose our actors? That had to have been a tough decision. Yeah, wearing both hats of being yeah. in the be, being it being it being an actor. Sure. And also having sure. to think about and, the, and the show, you, the finances. You, you know, do you use up your actors' uh, uh, enthusiasm right. if you take too long to, or is it all of that? I have to say, um, Ira was like so so strong and clear that for, for him he thought we needed to do the work that we wanted to do and then keep everything together in whatever way we could so that um, we didn't uh, 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 lose whatever momentum we would right. have made. Well, everything you'd worked um, for. Yeah. Right. That's a very parental way to, that's yeah, a, right? that is a very fatherly way to look at it. Yeah. Papa was a rolling stone Well, he laid his hat, was his home And when he died, all he left us was alone Papa was a rolling stone My son, well now Well, he laid his hat, was his home And when he died, all he left us was alone about your theater career, yes, um, you, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, made your professional debut uh-huh. on Broadway. Yes, in Equus. Yes, in 1974, which yes. was the hottest play, like Completely. ever. I mean, you know, some people credit it with re- reviving Broadway. Yeah. in a way, paving yeah. the path for yeah. all the great plays that would follow in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Um, what was that experience like, and how did that come to be? An actress named Polly Holiday, mm. who was doing a play at the Public Theater, um, written by Alice Childress, when I was an apprentice at a theater company in Florida called the Oslo Repertory, agreed to be in a workshop play that I was directing. I was probably 16 years old, <laughs> and based on her sense that. I had some kind of potential. She got the public theater 
to agree that whenever I came to New York, I went to North Carolina School of the Arts. And mm -hmm. this, uh, I was in school then. Whenever I came to New York, they would give me a job. Wow. <laughs> Not an acting job, but they gave me a job, job yeah. which was huge, right? <laughs> and so um, uh, I got assigned to the costume shop, and my job was to take an envelope of cash and a list of things to do and go out and, and buy them. And so for somebody who didn't know New York City at all, it was like such a great way. You have to go to South Street Seaport. A scavenger hunt. Fish yeah. net and up to Harlem to get espadrilles. And <laughs> it was two and a half months before I knew that you could go from the public theater. You didn't have to go to Grand Central and take the shuttle. But the N and the R actually went, <laughs> went on out. a diagonal. <laughs> right. Someone else that I'd worked with someplace else called me up and said, on your lunch break, come here. I'm going to give you my equity card, and you go in and you say you're me, and and sit right near the monitor and and chat with them and let don't let them so so that when when they call out his name, they wouldn't call out for the room to hear. They just say it's your turn. Oh my god! And um, the director was sitting at the open call, and if if he hadn't been, I don't know what would have happened, but. Um, uh, uh, it was just a series of, of auditions. And then when the show uh, was going into previews, like, it was probably a half page, but in my mind, there was a full page, front page of the Arts and Leisure of <laughs> Peter Firth, who was starring in it and had done it in London. And I was hired to be his understudy. Wow. And so it was just like, it was so, it was so um, uh, uh, daunting. But because he had um, he had done it at the National, this is so weird. I was just out of school. I just quit school like a couple of months earlier when I got the job. But I used to study people's careers. I'd sit and read those magazines or the whatever. And I knew about Spring Awakening because Peter, in the same season as Equus at the National, was in a production of Spring Awakening. And so that was my beginning of even wow. thinking about that. And I had a whole fantasy about making an opera out of it before all that happened with the, um, with the musical. But um, they, they rehearsed me for a week with the real company. Wow. And and let Peter stay home while the, while all the other people got up to speed. While Tony Hopkins got up to speed. <laughs> while Marion Saldis and Franny Sternhagen and got up to speed. So I'm standing on the stage of the Lyceum like rehearsing with with Anthony fucking <laughs> Hopkins. It's a pretty daunting thing. Oh my god. I didn't know who I was. <laughs> <laughs> and from the back of the theater I heard, boring, dear. And, you know, I just like, <laughs> I froze. And in my brain, God bless the drugs I take. <laughs> but um, uh, uh, it, my, the voice in my head said, okay, this is the way he talks to Anthony Hopkins. If he's talking to me the way he's talking to Anthony Hopkins, he must think I can do this. Right. Like, who the hell, like, of the 97 things that might go through your brain, right. the fact that the thing that would allow me to cope with whatever was going to be coming my way mm. was um, uh, 
and they put me on in the previews before it opened. Wow. And all those people had read the New York Times, and they were really unhappy not to see Peter Firth, the, the you know, golden yeah. star. Talk about so, expectations, oh, you right. know. Right. <laughs> yeah. So all the, all the actors sat on stage and came out at the beginning of the show. So after they make the announcement and everybody boos and some people leave, then I have to walk out and sit in front of them. <laughs> But they were very generous at the end. Yes, so. of course. <laughs> you of won course. them over. Yes. That's an extraordinary thing to be able, at, at that young age, to be able to say, filter mm-hmm. out all the right. self-doubt and all the crazy that goes through your head and yeah. say, Instinct. no, 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 he's talking yeah. to me like I belong in the room. Right. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I was, so, I was just so, so, so lucky. Mm. That and you found Spring Awakening then. Yes. That's, I oh my that, God. no idea. Yeah. I had an idea to either like do it in in sort of Louisiana Bayou country where swampy and people coming back from the dead and like that or like a really conservative um, New Englandy religious community oh yeah um, very uptight and, and puritanical yeah, yeah. And so I'm sitting down with Michael Mayer who I don't know we're having our first conversation I'm I, I Michael Cunningham had given me the rights to make a film or to try and put a film together of um, his novel A Home at the End of the World um, pre the hours and just to get to know each other Michael and I are talking about things we like and things we do and stuff and um, <laughs> I said you know and um, an opera based on the um, Vatican place bringing awake he said oh that's so interesting because you know two weeks ago <gasps> Stephen Sater called me and and so I said okay tell me your idea <laughs> and wow. if your I you know um, if if I don't remember how I said it, but you know, if it's intriguing enough, I'm not going to do mine until you do yours. And as soon as he <laughs> said, in period, microphones coming out of things, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, uh, you do yours first, because I sort of knew what mine were going to be like. It was just more about the, the the setting and the thing and and. What, what he had conceived, you didn't know what that was going to be. And and um, so they had just been like a couple of weeks into work on it. So for the years that they worked on it, Michael and I were also working on getting the film put together. And we did, we, we, we made it at the, it was after 9-11. And at that point... This Spring, is the home at the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. and Spring Awakening had been put aside... Because it was dark in the way it was dark, and 9/11, and blah blah blah, and Duncan did the score of the Home film. at the end of the world, right? And Stephen and Duncan wrote a song or two for it, and so when it opened, um, I I asked them if they might want to invite me to to sort of reinvigorate, and luckily they said they said yes, and 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 allowed me into the process, I think because we'd already been working together in a way mm-hmm. that was um, 
that that allowed the stuff that I knew and felt and all was was everything was of use because it was such a hard assignment. Two final questions, yeah. and, and one of them is, is um, as a producer, if there's a if there's somebody out there listening that wants to be a producer, what would you do? You have anything, any bit of advice to them? Run, ride. Run, yeah. <laughs> um, there's there's no rules. Um, it's a crazy thing to do. Um, Manny Eisenberg, who was Ira's mentor, and they did maybe a dozen. Um, uh, uh, plays together uh, on Spring Awakening, he said, uh, when we were at the Atlantic, he said, look, if you want to try and do it uh, off-Broadway, you're crazy. And if you want to do it on Broadway, you're crazy. (laughs) So as fast as you can, you figure out which kind of crazy you want to be, and I'll help you in every way I can. So I feel like it's... It's you know it, 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 in in any project there's definitely ways in which it's it's crazy and it's a crazy thing to believe in and it's a crazy financial world um, around it uh, but there's an awful lot of really really good stories and writing in one form or another that exists that doesn't require you to spend money. And so find, you know, it's it's so economical at an early stage to develop something. And so find, you know, find something that you have a great passion for and then find something that's available that you've <laughs> and and um, it's but it's so frustrating. It's it, uh, uh, it's very hard to get people to have any confidence in you. Mm-hmm. Go someplace where where material is being made that you that you believe in, and you know, mop the floor, and and just just climb in in whatever way. Mm-hmm. That, that you can and who knows what might happen mm. the final question we do ask everybody and that is was there a was there a uh, was there a show or a book or a movie that inspired you to want to be in the theater a musical called Henry Sweet Henry hmm. I believe it's yeah. on the wall next door yeah. well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> came through Detroit on its way to the wall <laughs> on its way and Alice Platon Oh, God. Stop that show once in each act 
do, do you know? No, I don't know. Oh, you're talking about, about where she comes out and begs the audience? Four I feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably had played... Um, she was the mother in Carolina Change. Oh, okay. Uh... Um, maybe was Dainty June the the, the, the one yep. you didn't like? Right. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe in like the original Gypsy. Possibly. Yeah, um, I think you're right. But but like that was just like, oh my god. Prince's production of Cabaret. He did the stage version of Cabaret, yes, right? Yes. And I think that was that was the thing that just thrilled me. That that wavy mirror yes. that you looked at yourself in when you came in and sat down. And I don't know what it was in my genetic material, <laughs> but you know, Melissa Hart played Sally Bowles. Somebody <laughs> named Robert Davio. Like I like I I so cataloged all yep. of this but but that was the first thing where in a in a um, in a sort of um, uber sense um, no longer the right word but um, uh, <laughs> uh, over overarching sense that the experience right. of a piece of theater was so um, uh, uh, thrilling and entertaining and um, uh, surprising mm. um, and really affecting, really, really yeah. sort of changed the way you looked at things and yeah. felt about things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Amazing. You've done that for us yes. <laughs> on more than one occasion. So well, thank I, you for I, inviting me. Thank you, thank you so much down. for coming. Yeah, it's been this lovely. Was a wonderful yeah. conversation. Rob here with You May Be Wondering. Jamie and I started this episode with our download on the 64th Annual Drama Desk Awards, which were held yesterday, this past Sunday, per tradition, one week before the Tony Awards. If you follow New York Theatre News, you've surely heard about the Drama Desk Awards before, but you may be wondering, what is the Drama Desk itself? Well, the Drama Desk is an organization of New York theatre critics, writers, editors, and reporters that was founded in 1949 with a mission to educate the community on vital issues concerning the theatre, by sponsoring guest panel luncheons featuring theater professionals with the aim of prompting informative and stimulating discussions. In order to further this mission, the Drama Desk Awards were established in 1955 as the Vernon Rice Awards, in honor of New York Post theater critic Vernon Rice, who pioneered off-Broadway coverage in the New York press. They were later renamed the Drama Desk Awards in 1963 and continue to the present as the signature annual event of the Drama Desk, this year presented by Broadway News. What makes these awards special is that they are the only annual awards presentation that considers and recognizes productions on Broadway, off-Broadway, and off-off-Broadway, making for a combined roster of shows available for nomination that reflect the breadth and depth of the entire New York theater scene. As an example, this year's category for Outstanding Actor in a Play consisted entirely of performances from off-Broadway, despite the fact that on Broadway it was a banner year for new plays. And while just under 40 new shows opened on Broadway this season, the nominating committee of the Drama Desk considered over 260 shows from all around the city. 
There are also more categories at the Drama Desk than at other awards, including separate categories for music and lyrics, and additional categories like hair and wig design, projection design, and fight choreography, among others. Another notable feature of the Drama Desk Awards that might seem like a small semantic matter, but is actually quite meaningful, is that the categories themselves recognize outstanding artistry instead of, quote, the best. With a membership roster of only 130 or so members of the press, none with a vested interest in any outcome, the voting pool is also different from that of the Tony Awards, which has some 846 voters, including designers, directors, press agents, casting professionals, and managers. And so, after the Tony Award, the Drama Desk is probably the most prestigious award in New York theater. And it's not hard to understand why that is, given its impartial status, smaller voting pool, and wider scope. In addition to its marquee award show, the Drama Desk does also continue to host an annual series of panels and forums created and moderated by Drama Desk members that offer audiences a chance to listen to producers, directors, actors, and other artists discuss their work. This season, I was a proud first-time voting member of the Drama Desk and was honored to join in celebrating the best of all New York theater. Jamie here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can hear us anytime on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcast. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC. And thank you to Orso Restaurant, Sean, the incredible staff, and Joe Allen himself for being so great to host us here tonight. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. Find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid. And on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.